Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Amen. Well, tonight the topic that I picked was the fruit of obedience. So this is what what we get out of being obedient to God. God promises fruit. And um, so the theme, kind of the theme passage is like the second half of John 10.10. This is when Jesus is talking, he's talking about being the good shepherd and he's got the sheep. And the last half of that verse says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now, the first half of this is, or of this is pretty easy to understand. Jesus talks about that, that they may have life. When we, um, we read in Ephesians 2.1, it says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. So this first part is pretty easy to understand that we were spiritually dead and that through the sacrifice of Christ and our faith in him, our spirits have become alive. And not only do we have a life here, but he has given us eternal life. But then we come to the second part of that. It says that they may have it or they may have life more abundantly. What does that more abundant life really mean? What does it look like? And there are some Bible teachings that talk about uh, it has to do with financial, or they really emphasize financial um, gain or the acquisition of material things or good health. And that is true. God can certainly bless us that way. But what this abundant life is really so much more than that. And a couple things that I think this abundant life really means is that we are given joy. God gives us a joy in our life when we have a communion with him. Um, God wants to give us peace and peace in every circumstance, even when things aren't going well. We read in uh, Philippians 4, 7, It says, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So here, this is not just a a regular peace. This is a transcendent peace, a peace that our mind can't comprehend. So this is part of the abundance, part of the fruit of obedience. Um, God wants to impart wisdom to us. In uh, 2 Peter 1 two and three, it says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. And so he's wanting to give us grace and peace. So grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. And then it says, as his divine power has given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. So God wants to not only come into our life, but he has given us all things 
pertaining to life and godliness. It gives us a sense of purpose. Um, This abundance gives us a sense of hope. Uh, Also, God wants to come lead us and guide us. We read in Psalm 1611, it says, you will show me the path of life. And in your presence is, uh, is the f- fullness of joy. So in the presence of God, he just wants, doesn't want us to give, him, give us joy. He wants to give us fullness of joy. So and then the first part of that, you will show me the path of life. So God, this abundant life, and the fruit is God wants to come in and actually show us how to live life to the fullest. And this path that he's talking about, when he says, you know, that he wants to show us the path of life, the path that he has is the very best life that we can live. So we have all this, these promises of spiritual riches and this abundant life that he's promised us. So why then, why then at times do we, we walk in spiritual poverty? Or why does it seem like that abundant life is just so distant from us? Um, so what I'd like to talk, the main part of this discussion is we're going to look at what things keep us from this abundant life, this more abundant life. There are going to be three things we're going to look at. There's certainly more things, but we're going to just focus on these three. So the first thing is we elevate ourselves to a place that we have no right. So once again, we're talking about what things prevent us from this abundant life. So we elevate ourselves to a place that we have no right. About 18 years ago, I bought a new pickup. And rather than trade in the old pickup, I decided to to sell it outright. There was a gentleman that said he wanted to buy it. So um, we agreed on terms, but then he said like, he didn't have the cash for it was it okay if he made payments? And so my wife and I talked about it, and we knew he was a believer, and I knew him to be a good man. So we said, yeah, that, that's fine. We can go ahead and make, make payments. Well, the first 12 months, the payments came in just like clockwork. And then after about a year, all of a sudden, they stopped. A month or two went by, and I made a friendly phone call just reminding him that, the payments are late, and he assured me that he was on it and he was going to get back to us uh, with those payments. Well, now three months go by, and now I'm hot. I'm angry. And I say, I'm going to call him up, and I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. I'm going to rattle his cage, and I'm going to get some money out of him. So um, then the Lord spoke to me. He says, Lauren, I want you to call him. And I, I just want to pause here for a moment just to say, when, and most of you know this, but when believers say something like, the Lord spoke to me or God told me this or that, this is not something weird. This is simply the Holy Spirit within us. You know, Jesus said when he went away, he was going to 
give someone else a helper, someone to guide, a counselor, and sometimes to convict us, to, to keep us on that path. So when someone says that, it's simply that voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. So this voice said to me, says, Lauren, I want you to call him. What I want you to do is I want you to tell him you're going to send him the title paid in full. And I went, what? I said, that isn't fair. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. We agreed on a fair price. Denise and I were, we were gracious in taking payments. He is, and, and besides, if we let him get by with this, he's going to be one of those people that doesn't pay his debts because we're training him to do so. But God was persistent. He kept after me. And he says, Lauren, you know what I want you to do. So I called him. And I, I told him what God had put on my heart. Hung up the phone. He was quite happy with our phone call. But I was not. I was still angry. I, was, I said, this is so unfair. And then God kind of put in my mind what I thought at that time was kind of a random verse. It's kind of that next part of 1 Peter 2, chapter 1, uh, verse 4. And it talks about, it says, by which you have been given exceedingly great and precious promises, so that by them, you, so that by these, you might become partakers in the divine nature. And I didn't totally understand what does that verse have to do with the situation? But I do remember in a snarky reply, I said, yeah, you know, someday, God, I would like to be a participant in the divine nature. Then all of a sudden, the tone of that small voice changed to one of rebuke. Because I think God had had enough of me. And he said, Lauren, said, forgiving others' debts is the divine nature. Not only are you going to miss out on the truck payments, you are going to miss out on my blessing. And I didn't totally know what that meant, but I knew it wasn't good. So, when you think about that, here I was arguing with the God of the universe as to what was in my best interest. We read in um, 2 Corinthians 10.5, it talks about casting down arguments and every high thing that elevates itself against the knowledge of God. So every high thing that elevates itself against the knowledge of God. What or who was elevating itself? It was me in my arrogance, in my pride. I was telling God what was in my best interest. Not only was I telling what was in my best interest, I was telling God 
what was in the best interest of this other individual. There's a word for that. It's called idolatry. When something is elevated to a position that it has no business being elevated to. So, the story continues. I called the gentleman. When I talked to the gentleman, he came over to my house. What I thought was going to be a quick transaction. I was going to sign the title over, be done with it, move on with my life, still not happy with the situation. What I thought was going to be this short transaction turned out to be three and a half hours of this man weeping and pouring his heart out as he told me about months earlier his wife in a complete surprise to him had filed for divorce. And he felt like his kids had sided against him. And all this had so rocked his world he was unable to work. He had moved out of the house. He couldn't run his business. And then he said something to me. He said that he had been sleeping that he had been sleeping in the back of that pickup. It had a shell on it. And that's where he had been living. Yeah, God busted me again. God in his grace and his mercy showed me the whole story. See, God wanted to do a work with Denise. He wanted Denise and I to be that partakers of the divine nature. But through my arrogance, I missed the blessing because that was supposed to be an activity of joy where we're, we're coming. God has invited us in to come alongside him and be participants. But, we, but I failed. I, I was going to say we, but I better not add my wife. I failed in this. So, it just one of your, another verse for your thought. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, God says to us that my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So in Isaiah, which was written 2,600 years ago approximately, they had no idea of what the, the expanse of the universe. But now we know that things are in light years, in, in dimensions that are beyond our imagination. And God says, that's the standard between my wisdom and your wisdom. So how could we ever pretend to lecture God what is in our best interest? So that's the first one is that we elevate ourselves to a place where we should not be. And just one other verse as we wrap that point up is, Scripture says in many places 
God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Point number two, or the second, a second reason why we might miss that abundant life is we seek more information before we move to a place of obedience. In this one, in the first one, we know what God wants, but we just don't want to do it. In this, in this one, we know what, we understand what God wants. Either we write, read it in Scripture, a command in Scripture, or a prompting of the Holy Spirit. It's clear what God wants. But on this one, we're kind of 90% there. And well, as soon as we get a little bit more information, then we're going to move to obedience. So part of the information we may be wanting is, God, you know, I understand what you want, but can you tell me, let's, let's go over the whole program. Let's, let's check the whole plan out. Work me all the way through it. Or we might say, um, yeah, I understand what you want from me, but what is this going to cost me? What is this obedience going to cost me? Tell me the price tag ahead of time. That way I can kind of weigh things out. Or we might say, what's in it for me? What's my, you, you promised us an abundant life. What, what's my reward for being obedient? Or there not, might just be a confusion as to, you know, exactly um, what it all entails. And for this one, when I read scriptures, I read that the commands, that what, what God expects of us is clear. But sometimes the application, what he wants us to do with it, is not always so clear. In fact, many times it's a little fuzzy exactly what we're supposed to do. And it is acceptable for us to dialogue with God and try to understand. But what we must understand is that when we do that, our reasoning minds have limitations on what we can understand. When it comes to obedience, your reasoning mind will only take you so far. Then there's a point where that has to stop, and then you need to move to, to faith. And we, once again, it's okay to reason because God has made us creatures of reason. In fact, in Isaiah 118, uh, he says, come, let us reason together. So we have been given reason, but understand when it comes to obedience, you cannot reason your way to obedience. It is designed that way by God. And kind of the same thing with feelings. Maybe you're more driven by feelings and you kind of hold back and say, God, you know, I, I know what you want from me, but when I feel good about it or I have that warm fuzzy, then I'll move to obedience. I'll do what you want. And I don't know about you, but more times than not, when God asks me to do something, 
A lot of times it's just the opposite. I, I don't feel really like doing that. When, when we read scripture about being uh, serving one another or, or being humble, uh, humble to each other, um, or, you know, loving my wife like, like Christ loved the church, you know, those are the kind of things that my fleshly nature will bristle against. And so, so the point is that if you wait for either your reasoning mind or your feelings to validate obedience, you will be stuck. You'll be stuck in that place. Now we also see, we see this also demonstrated in 1 Corinthians 1, 1 verses 22. It, t- it talks about the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jew, a stumbling block. To the Greek, foolishness. To those, but to those who have been called, both Jew and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So we see in this verse that the Jews were looking for a miraculous sign. They were always asking Jesus for a miracle to validate his ministry. And we see here that the Greeks, they seek wisdom. They needed their rational minds to make sense. But God says in this passage that he didn't use any of those for validation. He chose a totally, he said, I'm going to have someone die on the cross. And that's the solution to man's sin. And so we see in our salvation process that reason or miracles will only take you so far. And there's a place where you must abandon that and move to this place of obedience. So then the question is, okay, if faith is so important, or the question is, why is faith so important? So let's look at the things that we know about faith. First of all, Scripture over and over and over, God asks us to have faith in Him. He says, trust me, trust me, trust me. That's one of the themes of Scripture God continually asking us just to step out in faith and to trust Him. The second thing we see in Scripture is that when we have faith in God, it pleases Him. Now, God has no need, so we're not feeling a need, but somehow it gives God pleasure when we, we have faith in him. The next thing we look at is the definition of faith in Hebrews 11.1. 1, we see um, the definition of faith is, so faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So here God's being straight up with us. He's just saying, Faith is hoping for something that you don't know about and putting faith in something that you don't see. 
So with all of these concepts, these three concepts, why is it then that we constantly are confused when it comes to faith and we want everything spelled out for us? See, if everything is spelled out for us, if God and I have a conversation and he tells me the whole plan or I have a full understanding of what it all looks like, then I don't need faith anymore because we, now we've come to this agreement. Faith is when, and most of the times when we have these commands, what we're asked to do will go against our natural selves. But understand that is by God's design. God has set it up that way. So when it comes to obedience, when God puts something on your heart, or you read a command in Scripture, that is all the information that you need to move to obedience. You don't need anything beyond that. Now, once again, it's okay to ask. It's okay to inquire. But other, not like I did with the truck. We do it in a posture of humility. We look at the book of Job, and Job was constantly in dialogue with God. And God never holds it against him. But God never tells him the whole story either. Another point of this is the fruit of the obedience is not always apparent. So if we say that there's a blessing when we have obedience, the fruit of it is not always, in fact, most of the time, we don't know what that fruit is. In the recent past, there was an individual that really hurt Denise and I. And I had a lot of bitterness toward this individual. And after a couple months, God said, I want you to pray for him. And I said, I don't want to pray for him. But God mercifully kept after me and says, no, I want you to pray for him. And so I did pray for him. Those first prayers that I did, I called them my ugly prayers. Because they were the, you know when you have like a little kid and you tell him he has to say sorry? And he kind of does this disingenuous, I'm sorry. You know, one of those kind of deals. That's the way my prayers were. But every couple of weeks, God would keep reminding me, pray for him. And my prayers got better as God reminded me that the blood that he shed for me is the same blood that he shed for this individual. That God loved him. And God wanted this person to come to faith in him. And an amazing thing happened. The bitterness that I had in my heart went away. Now, I would have never, ever, ever chosen that path of healing. But that's the point. God knew exactly what I needed to have in my life to bring healing to the bitterness. 
And the irony of bitterness is it didn't affect him at all. But it was poison in my heart. And God wanted to heal that. So let's move on to the third one. The third one is we alter scriptures to justify our behavior. This is when we know what God wants, either by command or by a prompting of the Holy Spirit. But we, we kind of don't want to be obedient, and so we take scriptures and we alter them to fit where we are in life. In Luke 10, 25 through 29, there's an absolutely amazing story, and it speaks to the nature of man. And in this passage, it talks about, it says, a certain lawyer wanting to test Jesus stood up and asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So, so far, so good. That's a phenomenal question. In fact, it's probably the best question a human being could ask. What must I do to inherit um, eternal life? Now, Jesus, in his wisdom, he understands that this lawyer, he knows he studied the Mosaic law. And so he knows the answer. So Jesus, instead of answering, he says he wants this lawyer to answer. So he asks him two questions. He says, what is written in the scriptures? And the second question is, what is your reading of it? Or in other words, what does it say? And what is your interpretation? And so this lawyer, he quotes Deuteronomy and he quotes Leviticus. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Please note with me that what he quoted, two things. One is just the clarity of Scripture. When I read Scripture, when it comes to the commands, I think they all have clarity to them. We all know when we read Scripture what God really expects from us. And here, is there any lack of clarity when God says, love God and love your neighbor? And the second thing is the simplicity of it. So pretty much the whole scripture can be boiled down to love God and love your neighbor. So all the rest of the Bible is really an expansion of that. So Jesus replies to this lawyer and he says, you know, you have answered rightly. So he affirms him. He's, then he says, do so and you will live. So now he's saying, you know what to do, but you also need to do it to live. And so he's telling us that knowledge, what we know, 
spiritually is not the end of it. It is actually the doing that is. This is also demonstrated after Jesus washed their feet. It's in John 13, 17. It talks about Jesus says after he's given the lesson to the disciples, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So doing is part of it. So, so far this conversation has gone wonderfully. Jesus affirms him for the right answers, but then all of a sudden the background music changes. As this lawyer says, then he, he says, wanting to justify himself, he asks the question, who is my neighbor? So in this passage, we now see the motivation of this attorney or this lawyer that obviously his life was not matching up to what was written in Scripture. That in some way, they'd either added to or deleted or altered Scripture so that they could define who was their neighbor. And consequently, they could love those people who they wanted to love, and they didn't have to love who they didn't want to love. And when you read that passage, it does not say that. So the point is, we must be careful when God gives us a command that we don't take Scripture and alter it or delete it or edit it to justify ourselves. So this happened, you know, many years ago. So let's take this, this particular passage and let's bring it to here and now. And I'm going to use marriage as an illustration because that's the ministry that we're in. So let's kind of reset this whole setting again. We're with Jesus and um, we're not going to test him, but we're going to ask him the question, Jesus, what do you expect of me as a husband? Or you might ask, Jesus, what do you expect of me as a wife? And Jesus probably would say, what do the scriptures say? And what is your reading of it? What does it mean to you? So as a husband, I would probably go to Ephesians 5.25 and say, well, maybe there's that text that talks about me loving the, my wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So I suppose I should sacrificially give to my wife. Or as a wife, they may look at uh, Ephesians 5.33 and say, um, make sure that she sees that she respects her husband. To which Jesus would probably reply, you, would, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will have an abundant marriage. But then, maybe wanting to justify my, myself, I might say, Jesus, have you met my spouse? 
And that was kind of a nervous laugh, but, uh, but that's what we do. We take Scripture and we bend it. We add things that simply aren't there. And we do that to justify ourselves. So when it comes to marriage, and when it comes to the commands that God has for us in marriage, and please, if you're not married, apply the principles. The principles are the same no matter what the issue is. I'm just using marriage. So in marriages, God wants us to obey his command. If you have a husband and wife that are both doing that, it is in abundance in their marriage. If you have either the, or the husband and wife, neither one are doing it, you have a mess. So the question is, well, what happens if I'm obedient but my spouse isn't. And I think what God would say to you is just be obedient to the command because you cannot, you cannot change the behavior of another human being, but you are responsible for your obedience. So the, the point of justification is not to let their behavior change your, your will to be obedient in that marriage. And even though your marriage, and in our marriage ministry, we never minimize how difficult relationships can be and how hard obedience really can be in those situations. But I think if you are in a tough situation, if you are obedient, what God promises you is that peace that surpasses understanding. And he talks about that he will show you the path and in his presence is fullness of joy. So you can have that even when you're in a tough situation and you just pray for your spouse, and you hope that through your godly behavior, you will create influence in your spouse. So wrapping up is the few points that I want you to go away from with is that when God gives you a command, either by a prompting of the Holy Spirit, or when you see it in Scripture, or when the body of Christ, what we're doing right now, is exhorting you to do. Understand that the fruit of obedience is always God's blessing. Also, you can go away from this understanding that God's, sometimes obedience is hard. Sometimes obedience is very, very hard. And also understand that it is set up by God. It is designed 
to be hard so that we would have to exercise faith to do it. And there is always a blessing. There is always a blessing when we have, when we are obedient. That's all I have. If, like the lawyer asked the question, what must I do to have eternal life? If you do not know the answer to that question, after we sing, the prayer team is going to be up here. Please come up and talk to one of them. Or if you want to talk about obedience, come up and talk to the prayer team. We'll end with a word of prayer, and then um, the worship team will come up. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for Scripture. I want to thank you for Scripture, where your commands, what you expect of us, has perfect clarity. I want to thank you just for the simplicity that we find in Scripture and help us as believers not to just to be hearers of the Word, but to move to that place of obedience. Help us to be obedient and in so doing, bring glory and honor to your name. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.